Welcome to Bobby Osinski's Inner Circle. I'm Bobby Osinski, and this is a show all about music, music production, and the music business. My guest this week is producer Richard Younglord Frierson. First of all, I bet you didn't know, but not all recommendations coming from streaming networks are equal. And you would think that the big deal about streaming networks is the fact that they have this great recommendation engine. Well, turns out it's only great for some music genres and not for others. High-energy music like hip-hop and hard rock turn out to be less accurate than maybe some other ones that aren't quite as aggressive. As a result, fans of those genres tend to receive poorer recommendations than others. Now, there is a study by a number of researchers from Graz University of Technology, University of Innsbruck, and University of Utrecht did a big, long study, and they found that based on the artists that music users listen to most frequently, the authors of the research study used a computational model to predict how likely these music users were going to like the music recommended to them by not one, not two, but four music recommendation algorithms. And what they found was that listeners of mainstream music seemed like they received more accurate music recommendations than listeners of non-mainstream music. Those users who listen to mostly high-energy music appear to receive the least accurate music recommendations, and those who mostly listen to music like ambient appear to receive the most accurate recommendations. So, if you're listening to pop music, chances are that these recommendation engines are going to come up with something that you're probably going to like. But if you're listening to hard rock or metal or even really aggressive hip-hop, that's a whole lot less likely to happen. This is a big disappointment because, once again, the big deal with streaming networks is the fact that the recommendation engines have always been touted as being so accurate and such a big thing and one of the reasons why you should be streaming. So it looks like that's not the case, at least for right now, and maybe this will change in the future. Hope so. If you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. Don't forget about my music mixing primer and 101 mixing tricks programs that will help take your mixes to the next level. Go to bobbyosinskicourses.com to learn more. Now, if I were to ask you who has the quietest room in the world... You'd obviously think I'm talking about an anechoic chamber, and yes, I am. But where do you think it's located? Guess what? It's at the Microsoft headquarters in Redmond, Washington. Yep, they have the Guinness Book of World Records for the quietest room in the world, and it's measured at minus 20.6 dB, which means it's 20 dB below the threshold of human hearing. And just to give you some reference here, a human whisper is at about 30 dB, your breathing is at 10 dB, and this is minus 20 dB. Now, the Santa Coke chamber took two years to design and build. It has six layers of concrete and steel. It's built on top of dampening springs, and there are four-foot fiberglass wedges inside that stop all the reflections. The floor to get in is suspended on cables, and this is pretty much the same for most Santa Coke chambers. But there's a special... 12-inch concrete wall encasing the whole thing 
So word is that you can fly a 747 right outside and nobody's going to hear it. What does Microsoft use this for? They test audio gear, but mostly it's for clicks and hums from keyboards and mice and fans and displays and Xbox consoles and things like that. The previous world record holder is in Minneapolis. That's Orfield Labs, and they're only rated at minus 9 dB. This chamber was actually built on the location of the old Sound 80 studios, and going way, way back to the 80s, Sound 80 was one of the best studios in the country. It had Bob Dylan and Prince, among other major stars that were working there. In fact, Orfield Studios is more open not only to the public because it actually does give tours there, but it's also open to outside industry to come in and test their gear. So they're testing things like automotive parts and the sound of hard drives, appliances, heart valves, sleep apnea machines, you name it. If you've never been in an anechoic chamber, I have to tell you, it's an eerie experience. And it's eerie because you can hear your heart beating so loud you can't believe it. You can even hear the blood coursing through your veins and the grinding of your joints as you move. So as a result, some people can't stay in for more than a few seconds because it just freaks them out too much. So what do you think the longest stay has been in an anechoic chamber? 55 minutes. That's it. Anyway, the next time you're in a trivia contest and the quietest room in the world comes up, you're going to know it's at the Microsoft headquarters in Redmond, Washington. My guest this week is Richard Younglord Frierson, who's a Grammy-nominated hip-hop and R&B producer and a founder of Truth Licensing, a major provider of music for films, TV shows, and commercials. Rich started producing for Puff Daddy's Hitman production team at the tender age of 16. His production credits include Puff Daddy, Notorious B.I.G., Fat Joe, Faith Evans, LL Cool J, New Edition, and many more. In 2014, he founded Truth Music Licensing, which now is a catalog of over 5,000 songs and has placed music on the Star and Empire television shows, commercials for Gatorade, Pepsi, and AT&T, among others. During the interview, we spoke about the value of asking people how they do things, how much the business aspect has changed since he started, his favorite techniques for vocal production, transitioning into music licensing, and much more. I spoke with Rich via Zoom from his home in New York. Take me back to the beginning. How did you get started? You know, my <laughs> my music journey, I'd say my music career has been guided by women. I, I tell you, I know it sounds funny, but uh, when I was uh, 14, I, I had my first uh, week of high school. And I remember meeting this girl that I went to school with. She was so beautiful, man. And I was walking her to the bus stop. And um, after she left, this guy came up to me and he said, hey, is that your girlfriend? And and so I was lying. I was like, yeah, you know, wishful thinking, you know. And uh, he said, uh, hey, are you in the music? And I said, well, I, I DJ a little bit, you know, not really. And he's like, well, look, you know, I own a recording studio around the corner. He gave me his card. He said, you're welcome to come by whenever you want. And the guy <laughs> was a legitimate player in the music business, you know, the hip hop, early 90s hip hop scene. 
And he let me sit in sessions. I would just go there, just like be a fly on the wall. And I got to see some, um, you know, some good sessions. And naturally, you know, the bug caught me. And, you know, I found this one producer that worked for him. Uh, his name is Jesse West. You know, he he was the one of the only one guy who would answer my questions. And uh, from there, it was just, you know, you get captivated and that becomes in, in your life, you know? Wow. So how old were you when this happened? Yeah, I was 14 when, when that happened. And then um started creating. And one thing I noticed, like uh, they were working on uh, Mary J. Blige was the 401 remix album at the time, as well as like heavy D blue funk album. So it was a lot of like uh, Mount Vernon uptown records, people, they kept mentioning this Sean Puffy guy, you know, and, uh, you know, I thought, I always thought he was like an R&B guy. And um, then he came out with Flavor Your Ear through his label. And um, uh, I was at school one day and these girls were talking about it. And a light bulb went off in my head. I said, I need to get with that guy. <laughs> and I, I called uh, information, got the number to his office. And uh, then I was able to, uh, set up a meeting. Wow. He took a meeting with you. I booked a meeting with his A&R guy and, um, through him, he, you know, brought my stuff up to him and set it up. So did you just go and say, I'm looking for a gig or did you go with your music? Well, I went with my music, but my leading thing was, look, I'm 16. I'm the best producer in the world. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you need to meet with me. <laughs> And uh, what's funny is I, I talked all that trash and uh, they didn't like my music at all. <laughs> they, they didn't like it. Uh, uh, but you know, it was funny. I listened to some of that stuff and I, I mean, gosh, you know, but he was so confident in himself <laughs> that he felt that if uh, I just uh, hang out with him, that I'll, I'll get it at some point. <laughs> and is that what happened? And that's exactly what happened. And uh, I, I'm so appreciative for that confidence. It's, it's so funny. I tell like um, a bunch of uh, people that I mentor and talk to, they always say they're not ready yet or, or say they have to uh, finish this or get better. And, and I, I think if I would have waited, you know, one more second, that that window would have closed. You know, I wouldn't have been able to get to, them, you know, because when I called, they just opened. So was, I was probably, they probably happy to get calls anyway, but it, it's, um, you know, that they exploded and, you know, I just, you know, that wouldn't be able to happen anytime after I'm sure. How long did it take you before you were working on your own projects? Um, maybe say 96. So like another two years, well, yeah, maybe like another year and a half. Another year and a half. Another year and a half. So is that when you felt that, okay, I got this. I know how to do it. Or did that happen like sooner? You know what? It, it didn't even happen like that. It, um, it, it, so I remember um, at the time, uh, Sean was working on New Edition, their Home Again album. And uh, he had the whole group in the room playing the music. Then he got a phone call, right? So he left. So immediately I just went, put my tape in and start playing music. And uh, Michael Bivens, who's like just one of the best executives, he says, hey, you made that? And I said, 
I said, yeah, yeah. He said, okay, okay. And then when Sean came back in the room, you know, Mike Bivis took him to the side and he said, I got this kid group that I'm working on. Why don't you, you know, I want him to work on the kid group. And um, Sean was like, sure. The, the thing is, I didn't know what I was doing and neither did they, you know, so we, uh, we made it work somehow. <laughs> but um, so I don't think I was ready, you know, when I got the shot to do it by myself. But I think that um, when you're thrown in it, you start, you know, thinking of things and start trying to mimic things you've seen. And, and uh, you start calling people and you start picking up things real quick, you know. So, yeah, I was thrown into the fire. <laughs> Did you get into it technically? What, creating? Yeah. I mean, at what point was it like, I have to learn this gear more? Uh, uh, I think it was probably around um, around the same time when I got with Bad Boy. I, I, I got into it technically and also uh, theory-wise because uh, the, the other producers that were there were like uh, wired differently. They were geniuses. You know, I was just like uh, working on the sampler, had some drums, a little loop. But these guys, uh, Jackie Thompson's TVJ, Mary Winans, um, you know, Derek Angeletti, these guys can play multiple instruments. They can hear something, play it, and make it sound like the record. You know, these guys were advanced. so. I knew to stay in the conversation that I would have to be able to learn that and, um, uh, you know, and, and compete, you know. That's pretty deep. Did you learn most of it yourself or did someone like mentor you with that? A mix of both. Uh, I had a, um, luckily I had supportive uh, parents and uh, I guess somebody who worked with my dad, their friend was like a, uh, piano teacher you know so he kind of taught me that stuff so I had lessons from him and then um, also the the other people especially engineers that we worked with uh, they were generous overflowing generous with information as far as what did what and how it did it and then it was just like with the actual like drum machines and samplers you know just tinkering with it until until you get it yeah, you know, I wish we would have had YouTube at that point, man. I would <laughs> it would have been crazy. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I know. At that point, you basically had to go to school, or you had to have a mentor because yes. it was difficult to do it by yourself. That's for sure. It still is to a certain degree. There's so much information out there that it can get. It does get confusing. Right, like which direction, which rabbit hole do you go down? Yeah, yeah, right. right. <laughs> Did you settle on certain gear after a while? Was it like, oh, okay, I can make this work better than anything else, or I like the sound of this better than anything else? I did, but I um, thank and thankfully, this is this was a big thing when uh, I first got with Bad Boy. Uh, Sean said to me, "He's like, look, you're younger than everybody." He said, "People will talk to you, so ask questions and learn." And I would do that. But I made it a habit to do it. And I would, like, every two years, I would meet with everybody and ask them, like, I don't know, just how do you do what you do? How do you do it? Blah, blah, blah. And in, in, inside the uh, creative part and in the business part as well. Uh, so what that did was uh, it kept me um, 
aware of like the new gear that was coming out, you know, the, the you know, what people were using and stuff like that. And then um, I also, um, it's funny, once I graduated high school, maybe about two years later, I started getting uh, interns from my high school and that helped me more. I would take interns from anywhere um, because they actually taught me more than probably I was teaching them, but they would always have new things they were using and uh, it would um, completely change the way I was doing production. Like uh, I give you an example. Um, I used to use MPC as my sequence and MPC 63,000, MPC 3000. I would have, you know, the MIDI keyboards, all that stuff. So I know it was one thing to like get different keyboards or different sounds, but um Ryan Leslie was one of my guys that I brought in and he created just on Pro Tools, just within Pro Tools, like, and he would record like, like it was a tape machine, you know, record the, the things and everything and we'd transpose the, uh, the keys if needed or, or replay, you know, but um, from being around him, you know, even though I was helping him with his career, he totally gave my career like another 10 years because that uh, way of doing production is what became like uh, the new thing. It made it easier, quicker. Uh, you know, I was just able to create everywhere and um, didn't have to lug around, you know, a bunch of gear everywhere. And, yeah. You know, so, it, yeah, that was my secret as far as keeping up because yeah, the technology is, is like so much different from when I first, you know, began, you know. Well, let's talk about that for a second. So how much has production changed in your mind? Yes, I know the gear, but is anything else that has really changed for you? Oh, well, I'm, the business, how it how the business works. I remember I, I used to, you know, make a track, uh, play a track. Somebody would like it then you would like get in advance or something. Then you go in the studio, <laughs> record it, then mix it. And then you get your second half and then, you know, the album comes out or not. But now like everything has to be done first. You have to deliver pretty much the entire song in its mixed version at all time. Uh, you have to, um, it's no more like, um, creating in the studio it has to be done pretty much whether the track even with uh artists nowadays you gotta have the the right hooks on them you know you have to be able to it's no more selling them the vision it's showing them the vision mm. you know they have to hear it and that that's a big difference and then you don't get paid until like the album's coming out like in like two weeks or something like that uh, yeah. <laughs> you know it's, it's really different on that end but I'd say this, you know, right now uh, you make a hit. You have the opportunity to make more money than, you know, before, you know, than ever before uh, because we're, it's more on a global thing. You know, if it connects, you know, it can get billions and billions of, of, of streams. Um, whereas before, you know, record would go platinum, but like people, like you get a really good placement on Drake or something and your life is changing, you know, just that one track right there. Yeah. And then as far as um, the, the the way that you create, it's um, people using templates, you, you know, they make it so quick now, you know, like they, they make it so quick. 
And uh, it's it's a lot of cookie cutter stuff. I would say it's still creative. I mean, you still have to, because you create, you know, production, you're, you're, you know, you're trying to capture a feeling, you're trying to capture that emotion. And that is something, um, that's a science, you know, that's a magical, you know, thing, you know. So if you're able to do that, whether using templates or whatever you got going on, it, it it's still, that's still special, you know. But I think that, um, you know, a lot of these techniques, I think they're pretty cool, you know, but I also think that, uh, it, you know, because of that, there's so much more competition mm. and it's, it's harder to build relationships with artists. Do you have a favorite production trick that you tend to use all the time? Mm, that's a good question. You know what I do? I, and it's, it's, I guess it's, there is a thing, I forgot what you call it. It's, Parallel compression. That yeah. that's something that uh, I, I live by. I love the way it, it manipulates the sound of the drums. It keeps everything tight, and you still can have you know a vibe going on. Yeah. So I love that, and and then also um, one thing I I see that I'm I'm consistently using is, is just our bass. You know, from waves. You know, it just <laughs> it just makes sense on everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you have a technique for getting like the best performance from a vocalist or a rapper? Yes. My technique, because uh, I was the ver- worst vocal producer in the world. And uh, so I met Ryan Leslie, who was, it, it, I think he, he doesn't even do this anymore, but he, I think it's one of the best because he, uh, he, I don't know how, like I can't sing, but he was able to, record a song with me singing and it sounds good. So I was like, okay, it's anything's possible here. But my trick is before we start anything recording, you know, I'm telling funny stories for at least 30 minutes. You know, we are laughing and uh, becoming friends. I'm building trust with them. You know, I'm, I'm talking about their favorite songs and talking about things I loved about those favorite songs. Um, I'm really connecting with them uh, on a uh, uh, f- just as a friend, a friend level, but so I, I can build trust. And then um, I'm, I'm when they record, I'm just excited. I'm their biggest fan, even if it's you know starting at, out as bullcrap. You know, I'm like, oh my god, I'm getting it. And then and then we'll uh, <laughs> you know we'll get to some good parts. Focus on that. And then I'll go back and circle and redo all the bad parts from the beginning again. And um, yeah, but I think that, and also kind of giving them a, uh, another one of my tricks is giving them a visual a movie, a, a video of what it is they're doing so they can be in the scene of where they are and know what type of emotion that I'm trying to elicit from them. Mm. You know, so if, yeah, if I can, express that to them after some jokes they usually come through what i need them to come through it yeah that's good (laughs) good it seemed like you transitioned from production to music licensing at some point yes 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 that is a big transition in a way because it's it's creative to more business yeah well that it, it was um 
I'll, I'll tell you how that happened. Um, so, you know, growing up in the whole bad boy uh, thing, it was tremendous success. Also, I try and mimic everything I see, right? And one of the things that I think made uh, bad boy successful, you know, was that Puff would take us on trips where we would um, have fun. You know, we would, you know, wake up in the morning, play basketball, hang out, eat, and then we would work hard, you know? And I think that energy, that camaraderie is what made the hits, you know, I think that's really what did it. So I created my own situation that way. I brought a two family house and converted it to a group home where any creative can come in as long as you sign in my publishing company, you live there and uh, I had somebody cook clean. We would have fun and just create all day. And what that did was um, it, it created a bunch of placements, but there was one hitch was I was still uh, signed to uh, Janice Cole Publishing, you know, Bad Boys Publishing Company. Mm -hmm. So I pitched uh, Sean on, um, I, I, I pitched him on letting me out of my contract and giving him a piece of this new company that I'm doing. And he's such a masterful negotiator that he's like, well, you know, I believe in you. I believe in what you're doing, but I'm not going to let you out of my contract. Uh, but I'll give you some more money to come work for me and then do, do it with me, you know. And uh, so I started working within that uh, company. And one of the projects we worked on um, at that time was uh, making of the band, making the band. So I was a part of creating all of the music for that and also handling all of the, um, you know, the, the licensing and stuff with that. Me and uh, uh, a friend of mine named Kevin Johnson, um, I mean, Kevin Thompson. And uh, from there, uh, we we just kept doing it. And <laughs> after my time was up there, me and Kevin decided to go and start our own thing, you know, because we, we were in the groove. We were making it work. And um, from there, you know, was, we, we built the pipeline and um, then we just started getting other creatives, you know, to uh, come join us with the fun, you know. You have a lot of titles, right? You have like thousands of titles. Oh man, I don't know. I I I I don't know. I just know that I, I've been living a fantasy life, and I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's easy to create. It's difficult to sell and get placements, especially if you're not of that world. So, how did you learn about that? About selling? Um, yeah. You know, honestly, I think that just trial and error and and then just being a uh, networker, you know, just uh, just super networker, you know, and uh, making friends with everybody. And somehow, luckily, my friends turning out into to different things, <laughs> mm. you know, so, uh, yeah, just meeting more people, meeting more people. You know, you, you know, 10 people, you, you need to know a thousand, you know, you need to just meet people. Very cool. Tell me about your latest project, the uh, learning platform. Right. So right now we're uh, putting together like a genius. So remember, I told you that I would go to uh, everybody in every position to ask what they're doing and the best practices of it. Uh, 
so I'm doing it again, but this time I'm turning it into a course and, I, and I'm filming it. So uh, it's going to be an online school that teaches you how to monetize and, and market in each different discipline. So for like producers, we're going, you know, to um, it's, it's going. We're going to teach you like what how to get in touch with the ANRs, what they want to see from their mouths. You know, we're going to teach you. You're looking for a manager from the top manager. What would he need in order to manage you? We're going to, um, you know, so we're going to all of the the different subject matter experts to um, get current action steps. And um, it's exciting, man. I'm, I'm really excited about it. I think it's going to be a tremendous value for students out there, or just people who are ready to, uh, you know, make money out of what they're doing. Because it, it's like you said, it's it's one thing to create, but it's, it's another thing to sell. And one of my, I guess, superpowers is um, I've always been able to find a way to to sell, you know, to sell. I, I mean, I'll create in my sleep, you know, but the, the create systems to sell. So I want to kind of uh, just give out some of that knowledge. Because uh, I do crazy things, man, to, to place music. Uh, and, and even with success and all that stuff, you know, I, I still go, you know, super duper hard, you know. Like, uh, I'll give you a funny story. Um, when Jay-Z was doing the Black album, uh, I wanted to get a placement. I wanted to place on that album. So uh, Hip Hop was the a and You know, I know him well. Uh he said, all right, well, just send me some tracks. It was getting towards that time, you know, where people were sending tracks. I don't want to sell any tracks. I want to play some music for him in his face so I can, you know, hype it up and, you know, give my best shot forward. So he wouldn't make that happen, but that's not going to stop me. So I, uh, I don't know how I got this idea, but Young Guru, his engineer, popped in my mind. So I called him. And I didn't even know him, but I knew he knew who I was. Right? So uh, I said, look, man, I love your mixes. Right? Now, he wasn't even a mixing engineer at the time, right? Yeah. And I said, I really have, I'm having trouble with, you know, my sound. I was like, can I sit with you for a few minutes to get some ideas on um, what I can do to increase my music, my, my mixes? He said, man, sure, I'll be great to you know, help you. He said, the thing is, I'm working on Jay now, so... You can meet me at the studio, but it has to be before two or after 10, right? Yeah. He gave me the whole schedule, right? So I showed up at 1.45, right? <laughs> <laughs> at two o'clock on the dot, Jay walks in and uh, plays some music. Now, I met him previously, but, um, you know, we weren't like friends, you know? So I, I say to him, I said, uh, he says, what's up? Walks to the studio. I said, hey, man, I said, um. I got to tell you, I said, uh, I have a four-year-old daughter and uh, she's, you know, she loves music. She just realized what I do, you know, and she asked me, she said, Daddy, did you ever produce Jay-Z? And I said, man, I had to look at her in her eyes and tell her no, right? <laughs> I said, I said, you got to help me change that so I could be a man in front of my daughter, right? <laughs> Yo, he started laughing, the same way you yeah. are, right? And he said, oh, man, he said, oh. 
He said, I wish you would have came last week. He said, we, we're actually like recording the last two songs today and tomorrow, whatever, right? And, uh, but then he said, well, what you got? And uh, play him some tracks. And I, I didn't end up getting anything on um, the Black album, but he had me working on, um, what's the guy's name? The Memphis Bleak and um, another act that he had that was coming out later. So it did turn into something. Not what I wanted, but creating that atmosphere, I, I planned that out. You, you know, that wasn't yeah. like a, a, by accident. You know, I, I knew I needed something to break the ice. I knew I needed to take it away from music and to bring it back to it. And, um, you know, some people think that might be crazy, but that is a uh, sales technique. And, and I'll tell you something funny, man. Uh, you know, my daughter, she, she is, uh, um, she, she's like a little baby now. I didn't even have a kid back then. You know what I'm saying? So, sad, <laughs> but I knew I needed something to get that conversation going, yeah. you know? So, Stuff like that, that is out of the uh, ordinary and not direct, but, you know, that is kind of the information through stories that we're going to help people understand because there is just, there's so much opportunity to connect with people, uh, even though it's, it's not anymore, you know, it's like, but there's, you just have to be creative in how you do it, you know. But it's, it's a way to do it. That's one of the best ways I've ever heard. I have to say, yeah. you're smooth. <laughs> <laughs> like a genius, that isn't launched yet, is it? No, no, it hasn't launched. We're going to be launching in June. Right now, we're um, editing and, and actually still <laughs> filming uh, a bunch of our geniuses, you know, for the courses. But we we have some heavyweights, man. This is this is really good, and it's it's not which you, it's not that uh, instruction, like do this, do that, da, 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 da. It's like, here's a story of something that went horribly wrong. And here's a story that went horribly right. Take, you know, these, t you know, action steps and, and do it, you know, just try, you know? So it's, um, it's going to be fun. I'm really excited about it. I like your approach. It's way different than anything I've heard about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's because stories work for me, you know. I, I, and I'm, I'm just, um, I'll say this: I, I'm not anything like uh, that I created. And what I mean by that is, most of the ideas that I have have come from other people. They haven't come come from me. I'm, I'm not that person. Um, but I listen. And uh, one person I got to become really close with was uh, a guy named Clarence Avant. And uh, he is, he's a funny person and he's, he's, he doesn't, there's no, there's no reason something can't happen to him, you know? So I kind of adopted that. And he, one thing he would always say to me is, you know, he's just try it. If it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't, there's, there's no way you can lose. And I, I, I lived with that. And that's why I would try crazy things like hitting up, you know, Jay-Z's engineer to get, you know, creating a whole thing because at the end of the day, now it, it's, when I, when I see Jay-Z, uh, not every time, but it's most of the time, he asks me how my daughter's doing, you yeah. know, but <laughs> it, it, it created a different, uh, a different conversation than he did with other producers, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. So it's, it's it's nothing, you know, you can't lose. You're lucky he didn't ask to see a picture of your daughter when you did that. <laughs> uh, I would have came up with one. <laughs> My niece or something. <laughs> All right, Rich, last question. What's the best piece of business advice that maybe someone imparted to you or maybe you learned along the way? Mm. The most important thing, and, and I didn't, nobody told me this, but I saw this from working at Bad Boy. You have, you're only as strong as your team. You know, you have to have a, a team, a great team with, with heart and, and belief in what your goal is. That's the only way you do it. The only way you can do it. And um, a lot of like artists I talk to, they try and do everything themselves. You know, they they are they're social media people. They are editing their videos and trying to record their own songs and getting one song done every month. And you know, I tell people, um, you know, find out, find whatever part you can be great in, and just focus on that and get a team around you to do everything else that's necessary, you know, because if you don't do songs, I don't care how good your social media is. It's not going to make, it's not going to move the needle, you know? So you, um, having a team and creating a team, I think that's, um, most important thing. Thanks for listening and being in my inner circle. Remember, if you have any questions or comments, you can send them to questions at bobbyosinski.com. To listen to the episodes of Bobby Osinski's inner circle, Go to bobbyosinski.com and select the podcast tab, or go to bobbyowinnercircle.com, where you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Mixcloud, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Deezer, TuneIn Radio, Radio Public, and Podbean. At bobbyosinski.com and bobbyowinnercircle.com, you'll also find a sign-in form for my newsletter and for alerts for new podcasts. This is Bobby Osinski. I will see you next time. Bobby Osinski.